And now for something completely different. A radio show about books. Didn't think it through at all. Inconceivable! Is it a kingdom? Is it a pen? Is it a radio? I don't know. Can I just make more funny noises? Thank you. Tarzan of the Apes. Brought to you from out the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' immortal book. Oh, wow. In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and been widely regarded as a bad move. And now for your host, Daniel Thompson, a completely underqualified buffoon who has no idea why he's here in the first place. And all were amazed and said, this guy is really good. Do you do children's parties? The answer to that question is yes. I do do children's parties. I do them all the time. Well, not all the time. I do them on request. I only really do them when I need money, which is all the time. So I suppose, yeah, I do children's parties all the time. If you want me to come to your child's party, whether it be a birthday party or some other kind of party, I can do that. So write it down. I do children's parties. Welcome to Kingdom Pen, everyone. How's it going? Well, welcome to Monday. Welcome to Monday. Mondays are great days. People people don't seem to appreciate Mondays like I do. I walk in to my college class, my 8 o'clock psych class, and they're all just like dead. They're zombies. And I'm just like, hello, everybody. Welcome to this happy, sunshiny day. And they all give me these death glares. I don't understand. You think that they'd appreciate my optimism, but they don't. No one appreciates my optimism, except maybe you guys. Maybe you all appreciate my optimism. I don't know. We got Brian Davison here today. He's going to talk to you about his writing techniques. He's see the pants, for instance, so outlining's out of it. But he's got some good tips. Audible.com, they're our sponsors today. Happy Monday, everyone. So let me introduce myself. Do you know who I am? The average human male is about 60% water. As far as we're concerned, that's a little extravagant. You're here because we want the best, and you're it. Nope. Couldn't keep a straight face. Hey, everybody. How's it going? I have got an interview for you today. We have Brian Davis in studio with us. This guy has published over 27 novels. This dude is legit. And you have a slight obsession with dragons, I've noticed, Brian. Well, obsession, maybe. I really appreciate them as a, a device uh, because uh -huh. they're they're wonderful fantasy characters I can do almost anything with because mm -hmm. they're so human-like, if you will. Yeah, I mean, you have the, the dragons in our myths, and then the, the oracles of fire, the children of the bard, and then you have another series that's like a sci-fi dragon series. How would you describe yeah. that one? Well, Dragons of Starlight and Tales of Starlight are uh, seven books combined. They're more like uh, other world fantasy, while... Uh, Dragons in Our Mitts and Oracles of Fire are more contemporary fantasy. In other words, in Dragons in Our Mitts, you have our world, our time, with fantasy added to it. Mm. And with Dragons of Starlight, takes place in another world, another time, more Lord of the Ring-ish, kind of uh, more higher fantasy than contemporary. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I wanted to ask you, you've written, what, is it 10 Dragons in Our Mists world stories thus far? There are 12. There's 12. What's it like yes. to spend that long inside of one story world? 
Well, it's it becomes part of you after a while. You start thinking like the characters, and the characters speak to you inside your head and wake you up at night and all sorts of things like that. <laughs> really? Uh, and it's been actually 20 years since I uh, came up with the first idea. And the final book, Omega Dragon, came out in March. Of this and year? Actually, yes, in March of this year. And, and actually, even though it's been part of my life, I'm kind of glad that it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of a bittersweet ending 20 years has been long enough but i i can imagine that in three or four or five years from now i'll be thinking about it again maybe i'll write a a lost chapter if you will <laughs> that'd be cool but man 20 years is a long time to spend inside uh, the story world I yes can... it is <laughs> that's really cool it's really cool stuff and now i read i i can't say that i've read all your stuff i'd like to be able to say that but um, I had a friend who really strongly recommended the first of your Dragons and the Myth stories, and I really enjoyed it. And how do you enjoy jumping onto the kind of the King Arthur mythos and kind of reimagining that storyline? Well, it all started with a dream I had uh, 20 years ago. I had a dream about a boy who could breathe fire. Hmm. And I told, yeah, I told my oldest son about it, James, who was 13 at the time. And he said, well, Dad, you should turn this into a story because I had been dabbling in writing at the time. Yeah. So we just brainstormed. How could a boy breathe fire? Well, his parents were dragons. Well, how about if we say that his parents used to be dragons and were transformed into humans? Great. And how could that have happened? Ah, Merlin could have done it back in the time of King Arthur. And it just, we just brainstormed and built idea upon idea until we came up with the premise. So I credit my son for helping me brainstorm that concept. That is really cool. I've never heard of someone who's, who's brainstormed a story with their kid. All of my stories have input from my kids. Really? And that's just how you write? It is, uh, because I, I like to know that young people are going to enjoy the stories. Because when I write, I'm kind of uh, isolated and uh, think, well, I like this story. Well, will my target audience like it too? Mm-hmm. So I really want input. I, I regularly, probably at least once or twice a week, go down to my kids and say, hey, check this out. What do you think? And I've got this situation. I'm wondering what's the best option. You think option A or B or C? And my kids will give me feedback or say, no, Dad, those all stink. You should go with option (laughs) C. (laughs) Leave it to a kid to tell you your ideas stink. Yeah. (laughs) But they're also willing to tell me they're good. That's cool. That's a really cool method. So is that, that's how you brainstorm. What's your kind of your writing method like on a daily or a weekly basis? Well, I have uh, writing seasons. I call them seasons because I also tour a lot and visit schools and libraries, homeschool groups. Okay. So I might go a couple of months where I'm doing nothing but touring. Then I'll come home and write for a couple of months. Now, while I'm touring, I don't write at all. Okay. when When I'm home in my writing seasons, I will write anywhere from 8 to 14 hours a day. Wow. Well, I have a word count goal. I... It's a good day for me if I get 4,000 new words written. and if That's I, a good day for anyone. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I get it done in six hours, just, hey, I'm done for the day. Cool. I can go play Boggle and Bananagrams with my kids. Yeah. And, but sometimes it might take 10 hours, 12 hours, or more longer. So it's really a word count goal for me because it means I had a productive day, and I, I'd like almost all days to be productive. Absolutely. Now, you you homeschool your kids. Yes, we homeschooled all seven of them through high school. Seven of them. Wow, that's that's intense, man. That is really cool. I was homeschooled, so I'm in college oh. right now, and I loved it. 
Um, do do you teach your kids English? Are you are you involved in in that side of things? I mainly stick to the writing. Uh, <laughs> my kids my kids will uh, submit writing samples to me, and in almost any subject where they have to write an essay, book report, uh, biography. Uh, that passes through my hands, and I'll help them out with the writing aspect of it. I also help them with the higher math. Mm, yeah, I, I was an engineering major. <clears throat> I saw that on your blog that you you graduated with a, an industrial engineering degree. Yes, I did, and I was an industrial engineer for a few years. Then I became a computer systems analyst for a few years. So I was in the tech field for twenty years. Wow. And hey, that, that's, it's so bizarre to me to hear that because normally when I talk to creative people and to people who are into writing, they hate math, they hate science, abs- they anything math-related they absolutely abhor. I don't see many people who who love both. Yes, yeah, an unusual blend. But if you read some of my more sci-fi books, you'll see that the the tech angle come into it. I don't know if you've read The Candlestone or not. I haven't. I, All right, I haven't that's the, yet. It's the second book in that story world and you'll see uh you know you'll have one genius girl talking about uh tachyon reversal and the uh, uh leucon barrier asymptote and things like that so. okay <laughs> so so you use real science elements in your stories you don't sure and with fantasy you can, you can stretch it beyond the yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> when you when you were getting your degree in industrial engineering did you know you wanted to be a writer were you dabbling at that point or was it nowhere in your sights no, not at all. Um, I began, I, I really wasn't a reader much through my young years, uh, very much science, math, and sports, huh. which is also not a common combination. <laughs> no, it's not. I started becoming an avid reader when I had a job that took me 45 minutes on a bus to get to. So I would read 45 minutes in the morning, 45 minutes in the afternoon, and I consumed a lot of books through those years. How would pets and I, I especially got uh, enamored with C.S. Lewis, um, who is my favorite author, mm-hmm. and saw how he blended uh, faith elements with fantasy better than anybody I had ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to do that in a more contemporary setting because uh, as uh, genius as C.S. Lewis was, uh, some of his books feel a little old and archaic now. You can't relate to the characters as well unless you're, you know, a British kid. Over right. Back, like, yeah. like a while back, you know. Or who's escaping World War II bombings. Yeah. And, and it's just not, people don't relate to that anymore. They, they really don't. Now, hey, I noticed you have, you have this book, this Reaper's book, which yes. is, that's a dystopian. It's not a fantasy. Right, it's dystopian, but there is some urban fantasy feel to it because okay. some, things, some things happen that really can't happen that's my definition of fantasy fiction that really can't happen okay (laughs) (laughs) that makes sense well my original question was going to be what's it like to for you to leave the fantasy genre having written so much in it but i guess that question isn't applicable anymore (laughs) no it's it it really isn't a fantasy but it's it has fantasy elements uh so if you read it you'll see that but it is it's more dystopian because it's the typical uh one world government oppressing the masses and someone rising someone rises from obscurity to try to defeat that world order. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely squarely dystopian. Well, why do you like fantasy so much? Why have you stayed in that genre? I think because it allows for greater heroism. Uh, when you have 
the larger-than-life hero who is noble and has filled with integrity and uh, honesty and, and all these other things. Sure, he might not be perfect, but he's more perfect than anything that most people would accept in other genres. Mm. Uh, because a lot of people say, well, that's just not realistic for someone to be that great. I mean, look at Aragorn in Lord of the Rings. I mean, the guy's awesome. He doesn't have any flaws whatsoever. <laughs> and, in, and in fantasy, that seems to be acceptable. Because mm -hmm. in other genres, other genres people say no way yeah and i like that in fantasy because it gives characters for people to look up to and say i want to be like that uh, i want to have heroes that readers can look up to uh try to emulate so you've read the uh, raising dragons right yeah i read raising dragons so you look at bonnie silver and her uh her faithfulness and her character it's something that i've heard from literally thousands of uh, female readers all over the world I want to be like Bonnie hmm. and the fantasy genre allows for that people don't just shake their heads and say nah there's no way yeah and you get into the dystopian and the realistic sci-fi and they're like uh uh they don't they don't dig that so did you go for a different angle with your dystopia or did you continue yeah with, with the dystopian I went with the angle that the major characters are in a world that has no moral bearings no moral compass they okay. have no, they have no clue so the main characters there are just getting along the best they can they have no guidance they have no parents they have no uh no religious system whatsoever but my main character still has the inner conscience that tries to make him go one direction or the other and he's got no reason for it other than it just feels like the right thing to do. Hmm. Phoenix Phoenix is the name of the Reaper, and he uh, he's the only Reaper who really tries to help the people. Basically, they, he reaps their souls when they die. And, okay. But he, but he tries to keep them alive by smuggling medicine to the people who are sick. And if he's caught, he'll be killed because that's not allowed. But he does it anyway. Why? He really doesn't know. Hmm. He just knows it feels right. And that's why it's been so much fun writing the second book is because in the second book he discovers why he feels that way and some more light is shed on his dark world. So, so it is it is different. Is the second Reaper's book the one you're working on currently? Yes. In fact, I just finished a draft and it's in editing right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. It should be out in, uh, in the fall. Very cool. Now, I, I was looking on Amazon.com, and it says that you... How many books have you released this year already? Uh, this year, just one. Just just one. But you, you do yes. do multiple releases per year. I guess with the 4,000 words a day writing season, I guess that's possible. Yes, I'm hoping to have three more books out this year. What? <laughs> what? How? Well, we have a graphic novel version of Racing Dragons coming out. Okay. That's one. The second, uh, The second Reaper's book that is uh, beyond the gateway is what it's called and okay. i have and i have a middle grade sci-fi book called wanted a superhero to save the world and all right. i'm hoping that'll be out by christmas and you've written all these this year i mean the dragons in our miss obviously that's a that's a different situation but well the first one that came out was omega dragon and i wrote that last year okay uh beyond the gateway i wrote this year and uh, the Raising Dragons graphic novel is being done by an illustrator. I have no part in that. Okay. 
And the sci-fi book uh, for the middle graders is uh, not even finished yet. Okay. Okay. Well, still, that's that's a solid publishing regime for a year, man. That is, that's intense. Very cool. Hey, we got to take a quick break. We have a midsection here with a short break, and we will be right back to the interview after this. And now, celebrity poetry readings. Today, Matthew McConaughey will read... A poem about Nicholas Cage. A poem by Asher Allen. He's the ghost rider and the weatherman. He plays a lord of war just cause he can. Your national treasury solved the case. Then starred in the crudes just to hide his face. You know him as Nicholas Cage. The face that has no age. He's known for memes and action flicks, but he starred in Valley Girl just for kicks. He was Bangkok dangerous, and then the joke was on us when we went and saw Left Behind. To his reputation it was not kind. Then there was the boy in blue, and it could happen to you. There was the best of times, and now, I'm out of rhymes. This has been Celebrity Poetry Readings. To submit your own poetry for readings, email us your poem at kingdompenmag at gmail.com. And thank you for sticking with us. Ugh, that, I didn't, know. That's a terrible re-entry. That was te- I'm sorry to ha- make you have to listen to that, Brian. That was bad. That was really bad. Hey, I had another question uh, regarding... Uh, this is this is back to... I guess it's applicable to Dragon's Inner Mist, but also to your other trilogies. When you start... Do you have a solid outlining process that you use? When no, you write? I, I am a absolute seat-of-the-pants writer, really? as they say. I have no idea what's going to happen when I sit down to write... You, you don't have any sort of outline that you use? No. No outline, no character sketches. I just sit and go on the adventure as I type. Wow. I, wow. I like it. I like it that way. I get to go on the adventure. I I get to be excited. I laugh. I cry. I get intense. And I'm, oh no, what's the hero going to do now? Mm-hmm. I'm really like it. And that's a lot of fun. Do you ever get stuck? No, I've never, I've never gotten stuck. A lot of people ask me that and say... Well, don't you write yourself in the corner sometimes? It hasn't happened yet, and huh. you know, got almost thirty books under my belt, and I, so I don't expect that it will happen. Yeah, I mean, if it hasn't happened to this stage, I mean, when's it? When's it gonna? When's it gonna come back? I, I come from the mindset. A lot of people have told me, "Hey, outline strong. Be be really diligent in your in your outlining." But you're the second published author I've talked to who, who's seat see of the pants. Well, I understand the value of outlining. It certainly means you don't have to do as much editing afterward. Uh, I do have to do a lot of editing because I come up with a new idea, then I have to go back and foreshadow that idea. Mm. Uh, so there is a lot of editing with it. But I just can't imagine going with an outline. It feels like it would be dull and boring and no surprises. Yeah. So uh, compared to the time it takes you to write a novel, what's your editing time like? Is it 
Uh, probably about 50% of my time is editing. I usually can finish a good first draft in two months, and then I'll spend another two months editing and polishing. So, okay. So it's about a four-month process to finish a novel, about half and half. Well, I mean, four months is a fantastic time period <laughs> in which to in which to finish a novel. That's, that's well, I'm, since I'm full-time author, i got to do something. That's true. That's true. How long have you been a full-time author? For 13 years. 13 years. That's a solid run. That is, that is really solid. It's been going great. So, I mean, so when you get into these, do you know that they're going to be trilogies, or do you just go for it and see where they end up? I usually plan how many books there's going to be. Uh, like the Reapers trilogy, I know it's, it's going to be three. <clears throat> how, how do I know it? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I just know it always works out. But sometimes it's uh, it doesn't work out exactly the way I hope, because... For example, Oracles of Fire. I got contracted for four books, so okay. it's got to be so it's got to be four books. But then I wrote the fourth book, and I had to finish up the storyline. Mm. But it was taking a long, long time. It ended up being a 670-page book. Wow! It probably should have been two books, but I had to finish it in the fourth book. Yeah. So what's your what's your publishing deal like? Do you stick with one single publisher, or do you go around? How does that work? I've had two publishers, uh, AMG Publishers in Chattanooga, Tennessee, published uh, Raising Dragons, uh, All of the Dragons Intermits, Orphan's Fire, Children of the Bard, Tales of Starlight, and I Know Why the Angels Dance. But after the first uh, Dragons Intermits books became popular, became bestsellers, I had a couple of other publishers courting me, asking me to do books for them. Okay. Uh, AMG is a really small publisher, and I just wanted to see what it was like to go with a bigger publisher, just kind of expand my horizons. So uh, I did the Echoes, for the Echoes from the Edge series and Dragons of Starlight with Zondervan, okay, uh, which is now HarperCollins Christian Publishing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did seven books with them. And now I'm uh, exploring self-publishing. Reapers was self-published. Really? Yes. So, do you, did you have an agent during the time that you were getting published by these uh, by by Zondervan and by the smaller company? I have had agents, but no agent has ever placed a book for me. Really? Uh, no. When uh, when I had the idea for Echoes from the Edge, and I wanted to see what kind of publishing contract I could get, I had an agent shop it around. Very high powered agent. Could hmm. not find could not find a place for it, so we parted company amicably, and I I took the idea to a writers conference, and I had two big publishers who were interested in it. Uh, and they actually had a bidding war for it. Really? Yes. And so the agent couldn't get me anything, so I I went on my own. Also with Reapers, since it is as uh, self published. It is self-published. It has no faith element in the first book at all. Okay. <clears throat> so, and it also has ghosts. Oh, uh, no. Can't have yes. that in Christian fiction. <laughs> That's right. So I didn't, I didn't even try Christian fiction. So I got an agent who shopped it around in the mainstream market mm-hmm. and got a uh, got an offer, a contract, but the, the offer was just minuscule. It was not a good offer at all. Okay. And... and uh, this agent took it to some Christian publishers as well, and they said, no way, not with ghosts. <laughs> so, 
I just said, I'll just go on my own. I can probably do better. I can probably do a lot better than this one contract offer I have. Yeah. What's what's your experience been with self-publishing then? It's a lot different. Uh, I had to get my own uh, cover designer. I had to get uh, an interior typeset designer. I didn't go the cheap route at all. I made sure everything was done professionally. I sent it to an offset printer. <clears throat> Got 3,000 copies printed. Okay. Uh, not digitally, because I think the digital printing, the, the quality just isn't as good as the old-fashioned offset printing. All right. So, so I went everything high quality. So it was costly up front. Yeah, know? how much did it cost you to, to self-publish? This to self-publish, all costs, including all the designers and typesetters and yeah. everything, ended up costing me about $7,500. Okay. Uh, you know, that's and, still not bad compared to some self-publishing people I've seen out there. No, uh, I made sure. Well, for one thing, if you print three thousand copies, you're going to get a cheap, you know, two dollars a copy. Yeah, I mean, that's so really that, good. That allows me to keep the cost down. If you go with digital printing, like print on demand, the, the costs for per copy are outrageous. Mm-hmm. And I've already uh, made up the cost for Reapers. It's uh, I've already made a profit on it, so it was the good way to go. But one advantage I had is that my I'm already well known. I already had a following, so I knew the books would sell. Yeah, you've got a market. The people people follow you. <clears throat> right, and so the aspiring writer who's never been published who wants to self-publish, it's a completely different world. It's mm-hmm. so much harder to sell. I'm having a hard time selling Reapers, even though I'm I'm well known. Huh. Mainly, be- mainly because my audience is highly Christian, highly conservative, and which I love. I am that way too, uh, but. They look at it and say, dystopian with ghosts? I don't know about this. <laughs> and I totally understand that. I'm, yeah. a fa- I'm a father of seven, and I'm careful about what my kids read. And my hope is that they'll trust me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Uh, <laughs> the second book is going to shine the light a lot more. It's very, the first book's very dark. Okay. Uh, but, you know, I always believe you can't really understand the the light without the darkness. Yeah, definitely. So so you did go kind of the dark and gritty route for, for your dystopian. Yes, I did, because I wanted to to show how glorious the light was. It's, uh, it's really kind of depressing in the first book. A lot of death, a lot of suffering, mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of confusion, which way to go. And at the end of the story, the first book, you kind of get a hint. The light is coming. Yeah, the light is coming because we have this hero who's finally seeing the light. Yeah, because dystopians generally stay dark. Yes, they do. They stay dark and depressing and kind of hopeless. Hunger Games was that way the entire way through. Yeah, and the the third book was kind of the most depressing of all. (laughs) The third book was was hard to get through. It really was. As as a writer, do you read stuff in your genre to to get ideas or to get inspiration or training or... What do you read now? I do read in my genre in order to see what is in the market and what is popular. I have found that it does not alter what I write because, frankly, most of the time with the modern stuff, I don't like it. And I say I don't want to write that way. I don't. Yeah. It, it's kind of to see, well, how can I make, how can I shine more light than these these writers are shining? Because the secular market is just so dark and so depressing with no hope, no morals. Uh, it's just 
it's hopeless. It uh, is. So it, it helps me to see, okay, what can I do to shine a light in a way that can be familiar to uh, readers who read in this genre? Mm-hmm. And that's what I go for. So, you know, I've read Twilight. I've read Harry Potter. I've you read... got through Twilight, really? Well, no, I can't say I got through it. I, I have to admit I got to only page 220 before I finally said I can't read anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter is not garbage. Harry Potter is filled with a lot of really cool imagery, lots of good storytelling, uh, I have some problems with it, and I would be careful with my own kids reading it and with instruction about what I appreciate and what I didn't. But mm-hmm. it's not it's not garbage. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I've really heard some great things about Harry Potter. And I've come from a family where, you know, I I, I would go read it, except I'm slightly afraid that I'd get a demon. Because that's what, kind of what I've been told <laughs> would happen. If, if you're going to get a demon from Harry Potter, you're going to get a demon anyway. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's, that's the funny irony of it all. To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, uh, Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis, that's his masterpiece, I think. Uh, Mark Twain's Joan of Arc. Um, there's some beautiful masterpieces that are out there. I have not seen that in modern writing. Okay. Well, hey, i got to ask this question. We're coming towards the end of our time, and I, I have to ask this question. I don't like generally doing structured questions but do you have any advice for young writers that, that you give out what, what's your do you have any major tips that you give out you ask that at the end of our session <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe this should be a different interview <laughs> well if you go to my blog theauthorschair.com I have loads and loads and loads of tips uh, so you, you go there especially Mondays is my writing tips um uh, writing tips Mondays and you're just going to see lots and lots of writing examples and how you do this and how not to do that so I would rather just just go there and you're just going to see a treasure chest of writing tips alright and we're going to do we're going to do a giveaway for everyone right. who signs up for uh, for, for that blog within the over the week of this uh, this episode being posted okay and you're, you're, you want to give away uh I want to give away a copy of Reapers. Reapers. Okay, and it'll be a physical copy. Yes. All right, so everyone, go over there and subscribe to Brian Davis's blog. You said it's the author's chair? Theauthorschair.com. Theauthorschair.com. All right. And if, and if you're already following me, shoot me an email and tell me, hey, I want to be in the contest. And I really appreciate the email because I have people sign up and they don't, have anything, don't know anything about the contest. So. Mm-hmm. So if you can make a comment on a blog post or send me an email, brian at daviscrossing.com, uh, to let me know how you want to be in the contest. Yeah, tell, we... tell them that you're there from Kingdom Pen. We'll make yeah. it a thing. That'll I'm... help a lot. Now, do you have a Facebook, a Twitter? I do. I have a, I have Facebook, uh, which is facebook.com forward slash briandavis.fans, F-A-N-S. Okay. So you got you got a cool fan page over there, yeah. And at Twitter uh, at Brian Davis A U T H for author Brian Davis A U T H. All right. Well, hey Brian, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a this was really fun. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. You're a great interviewer. Well, I'm just I'm just here. <laughs> I, the pleasure is all mine. I'm sure. Okay. Well, well, hey, you have a great day. I will talk to you again. 
You too. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Did you know that people with guilty consciences are more easily startled by loud noises? You're listening to Kingdom Pen Radio. Star Wars has one of the largest sci-fi expanded universes in the genre, most of which is told in the expanded universe books. Books which have now officially been declared non-canon. Thanks, JJ. You're a real pal. But you can still enjoy decades worth of stories, and you can find them on audible.com. They have over a hundred such books, and with their free month-long trial, you can pick two of them up for free. You can keep them too, even after your trial expires. Audible.com, expanding your fandom horizons for free. And that brings it to a close, the close of another lovely Kingdom Pen Radio episode. Hmm, yes, you can follow Brian on any of those things that we mentioned, and you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, you name it, I'm there. I am everywhere. Just a teensy bit creepy. <laughs> no, it's not. Nothing's creepy on this happy background music. But yeah, and definitely sign up for Brian's book, because on all accounts, this thing sounds pretty fabulous you can find this podcast on itunes soundcloud and always on kingdompen.org along with a bunch of other stuff kingdompen.org posts a lot of things not just this podcast so check those out as well we have a store where you can pick up kingdom pen merchandise mostly sarcastic t-shirts but hey sarcastic t-shirts are pretty great so there's that there's also the kingdom pen forum of which i am a diehard member Check out audible.com on the link on the page, on the thing, on the thing, on the thing, on the, there's a flea on the wing, on the fly, on the frog, on the bump, on the log, on the hole, in the bottom of the sea, and there's also a link, which you can click, that will take you to audible.com and give you free things. Not trying to sell you anything, I'm just trying to give you free stuff, because they give me money stuff for giving you free stuff. That's how advertisement works these days. Apparently. Next week, we're going to have one of our own fun Kingdom Pen people on. Don't miss that episode. It's legit. I just got through listening to it again, and it's really, really good. So, I will see you all then. You all have a great week. Enjoy your Monday, okay? Enjoy your Monday. Farewell. <laughs>